2: Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin.
3: Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you every Saturday evening here on AM 1280, The Patriot. I'm joined in studio once again by the producer of Education Nation and my co-host, Mark Durkin.
1: And another good Saturday evening yes. to you, Rebecca, yes. as we end the summer here. We're in I August. I We are so
3: close. I know. Our school is actually starting up a week from Monday. It's coming quick. So it is coming very, very quickly. It's, it's crunch time at yes, Liberty. Sorry. Very busy. Yep. Well, as we approach the end of summer, a new school year will begin for the nation's K-12 students. And parents' commonplace concern used to be the academic performance of their children in the classroom which I would say is probably still an important issue to them. But in just a short period of time, much of the conversation has turned to students' constitutional rights, including freedom of speech and privacy rights.
1: That's right, Rebecca. These concerns are largely focused on the advancement of gender-neutral policies in schools. And as our audience may remember here on Education Nation, we did discuss the 2016 firestorm that surrounded Nova Classical Academy, in which gender identity policies and curriculums forced on students raised privacy and bathroom safety concerns for many of the parents, and this led to many families leaving the school. But this certainly wasn't the start of transgender policies making their way into Minnesota schools. In 2014, the Minnesota State High School League drafted the transgender student-athlete policy, and in 2015, St. Paul schools passed a gender inclusion policy, which, according to St. Paul Public Schools, Passed with unanimous support. Mm. St. Paul Public Schools offers further comment on this policy in a myths and facts section stating the following, quote, These are not transgender policies. They are gender inclusion policies and benefit everyone. Number two, there is no correlation between unsafe school environments and providing equitable access to facilities for transgender and gender nonconforming students. And three, and perhaps most controversial, is this statement that comes directly from the policy itself, stating that in order to be inclusive to all students, the district will, quote, provide all students access to facilities that best align with the student's gender identity, not their biological sex.
3: One of the things that just shocks me about these statements that they made is that second one that says there's no correlation between unsafe school environments and providing equitable access to facilities for transgender and gender non-conforming students, I'm thinking, well, where are they getting their research? Because right. this is a new thing. Absolutely, <laughs> so you can't you can't make that statement without actually having put it in action, established and facts, research right. it. Yes, and so um, it's just interesting that their desire, of course, is that there wouldn't be any correlation with an unsafe learning environment, but they don't know, and they're making that statement without really knowing what is going to happen. Absolutely, this is an experiment. You know, this is we're, we're setting aside thousands of years of agreed upon tradition and kind of we're in new territory here. And so it's really impossible for anyone to say that this isn't going to lead to problems because they don't know.
1: Right. Thousands of years versus three to four years. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, joining us in studio tonight to address the advancement of gender-neutral policies in Minnesota schools is Renee Carlson. Renee has a wide variety of legal experience. She began her career as an assistant county attorney in Minnesota, having served served in both the civil and the criminal divisions. And years following, Renee began her own practice to meet the legal needs of nonprofits and small businesses, as well as ministries, churches, and Christian schools. She's also a founding board member of the North Star Law and Policy Center in Minnesota, which is an alliance of Minnesota attorneys who work to transform law and policy in the state of Minnesota. She is also a Blackstone Legal Fellow and an allied attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, where she has served as legal counsel in recent federal cases. Renee received her B.A. from UCLA and law degree from the University of St. Thomas School of Law. Renee, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us here to talk about a pretty controversial topic on Education Nation today.
2: Well, it's good to be here with you, Rebecca and Mark. Thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, it's great. And we know that this is a an area that you are pretty passionate about. I have spoken with you privately about this a number of times in the past. Um, you're the person who made us first aware of the Minnesota okay. State High School League wanting to add these gender-neutral policies um, to their work, and so you've you've really researched this quite well, and you are quite knowledgeable about it. <laughs> oh, thank you. So we're very glad to have you in here, but it's really our first time actually having you on the show to talk about this before. And so, would you mind just telling us a little bit about the legal work that you do here in Minnesota and why it's important? Sure.
2: You reference a couple of things I do in my bio. So, as you stated, I'm an attorney in private practice. And I do work with a lot of nonprofits, both secular and religious organizations. I work with churches, ministries, schools. But in these passions for first freedoms and religious liberty, I also helped found the North Star Lawn Policy Center. And I've been working as an allied attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom for quite some time. Hmm. So I stay quite busy. And in that capacity, I do a lot of speaking engagements and other consulting on these issues. And you might ask, why do I spread myself so thin? Why do I do all of these things? (laughs) And it's critically important in a ever-changing legal landscape, particularly, as you mentioned, with new policies that are coming out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're right, Rebecca. Things are completely unsettled. Mm -hmm. We don't know how these policies are going to affect kids years down the road. And these policies shouldn't be impacting our freedoms and stripping away the rights of so many people. And it's not just students. It's Mm -hmm. parents and it's teachers. Mm -hmm. And I feel called and and impassioned to be able to speak those truths and I feel compelled to make sure that these rights are not stripped away and that everybody matters. Mm -hmm. And to make the case that everybody matters, we need to protect all students in these policies. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. Good for you. And, you know, I really do give you a lot of credit because it is it's hard to kind of be out there taking arrows. And um, a lot of people don't want to speak out on this topic. And yet. If you look at people's concerns, there's quite a few people that are concerned about this absolutely. even people that wouldn't consider them religious in any way absolutely um, but you know changing tradition so quickly and easily is not something that we should be doing lightly right so yeah well before we dive into the specific cases in Minnesota while you have or while we have you in here, can you help us understand the impact of some of the more recent Supreme Court rulings Mm -hmm. and how they impact the constitutional freedoms as a whole. We've heard a lot about the Masterpiece Cake Shop and the law as they relate to various constitutional freedoms. Do these cases have any impact on the issues we're seeing in schools, specifically the advancement of gender-neutral policies? Well, I'll
2: start by just talking about a theme that we're seeing. And something we're seeing in those Supreme Court cases is absolutely relevant to gender identity policies. Mm -hmm. We're talking about tolerance here. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's new in these cases is the idea that tolerance is a two-way street. And I guess Mm -hmm. that's kind of a misstatement. Tolerance is not new. And the fact that tolerance is a two-way street is not new. But we've had such progressive policies in Minnesota Mm -hmm. that we don't seem to be having this two-way street. And in both of these cases, we see that the government tried to force people of faith, they were Christians in both instances, to act in ways that violated their consciences. Mm -hmm. But in these cases, the court said that attempts to violate First Amendment guarantees are absolutely not okay. Mm -hmm. We're talking about freedom of speech specifically and religious expression particularly. And you're probably familiar with the cases and your Mm -hmm. listeners as well. We look at Jack Phillips. He's um, created Professional cake baker out of Colorado. Well, he was punished by his state for living out his faith and his belief that marriage is the union of one man and one woman. And in fact, he's being attacked again. Hmm. And then we look at the NIFLA case, which is a case out of California that was a challenge to a state law that actually forced pro life pregnancy centers to point the way to abortion. So in both of these cases, the court is saying to us that people of faith shouldn't be banished. I mean, mm-hmm. actually people of faith belong in society too, and they're important. And as you may know, as you brought up the cases, you think about Justice Kennedy, he's the one that um that wrote the NIFLA case. He had some very powerful statements in there along the lines of tolerance and that it's a two way street. I mean, in that regard, he said that the necessity of free speech for generations to come is important, and he explicitly stated Governments must not be allowed to force persons to express a message contrary to their deepest convictions. Freedom of speech secures freedom of thought and belief. Mm -hmm. So again, we kind of circle back to this theme Mm -hmm. that transcends beyond these cases and hits us to the core of these gender identity policies. Tolerance is a two-way street. And if we want to have these freedoms ourselves, people need to realize that they need to extend them to other people. And that's what the court's saying. They're essentially reinforcing that sentiment here. And the most important thing to remember is that it's not discriminatory to have respectful and peaceful conversations on matters which we disagree.
3: Right, right. Well, and and then you also have to ask, you know, whose decisions or whose ideas are the ones that get valued? If we're not going to value freedom of speech and freedom of religion, then someone gets to decide what is allowed to be spoken and what isn't allowed to be spoken. Mm-hmm. And who is that person? And who is that group of people? It's the loudest people The people who scream the loudest, and so that's where as you say, the important piece is for everyone to have an opportunity to speak and and carry out their heartfelt um, religious practices and their and their their freedom of speech and that type of thing.
1: Right, I think too, there's a friction in society because we saw over much of the last decade too this expression freedom of worship. Versus the freedom of religious expression. So when class protections, exactly. Mm -hmm. And when class protections are starting to cover behaviors, that's in an indirect way of silencing the freedom of religious expression. Mm -hmm. Because your religious belief contradicts this behavior that has a class protection. Right.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking of friction, I mean, Minnesota is certainly a unique state, and these policies are being adopted quite swiftly here in the state. But it's ironic because we have local control. You know, when I talk to other attorneys in other states, they're astounded by the deference given to boards and other administrators with respect to these policies. It's it's completely local. But I would say that in Minnesota, particularly since Obergefell, culturally has had a culture has had an exponential shift towards normalizing same sex attraction and trans genderism. So the culture here actually isn't too much different than a lot of places across the country that are fairly progressive. And we're Mm -hmm. seeing that, as you said, you know, only one view is accepted, and that's these gender identity policies. Yet we have science and medicine and psychology, and the verdict isn't out. It's unsettled, Mm -hmm. but we're forcing these policies on people. And they're really inhibiting the rights and freedoms of all people. You know, I've been reflecting on this of course the last couple of days knowing I was coming in and I kept thinking of the phrase Minnesota nice. <laughs> and I think where is that here because reasonable people, people of good faith can agree to disagree yes. and should do so peacefully in a diverse society like ours and in a diverse state like ours. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and that's, I think that is actually one of the problems is that then you end up again with the people who are screaming the loudest and the Minnesota nice people not really wanting to have to, to scream back. I mean, we are nice, generally pretty nice (laughs) people here in
2: Minnesota and pretty reserved in Minnesota. Yes. We need need to remember common (laughs) sense and all students matter. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right.
1: You know, in focusing on these gender-neutral policies, uh, Renee, what is driving them? And is there some basis in the law for enforcing these policies, both at the federal and local level?
2: The basis is shaky at best. And I'll start talking with the federal level. There's been a lot of controversy, as you probably both know if you're following this, with respect to the interpretation of Title IX. That's kind of the genesis of this issue, at least in the past couple of years, And Title IX is a law relevant to schools. For the listeners that don't know, it actually relates to discrimination and particularly matters of sex discrimination. Title IX says that schools cannot discriminate on the basis of sex. However, the Obama administration aggressively asserted through various letters and state agencies that the word sex in the law should be interpreted to include gender identity. So schools were confused not knowing what to do and then on top of that they were threatened by loss of federal funding if they didn't comply with that definition and create gender neutral policies which include the transgender policies that allow students of the opposite sex to access private facilities like locker rooms restrooms and showers but not based on their biological sex based on their gender identity. Now the current administration has since rescinded that guidance yeah. early right. on mm-hmm. and rightly so I would mm-hmm. assume both of you would agree with yeah, that, we yeah. Because, about that yeah Title Nine specifically states and you you may know this already that schools can maintain separate facilities based on sex and here's something that i think you know we need to talk about when we're talking about title IX. we can't forget why it's significantly That's exactly
3: what i was going to say significantly why it do it the let's talk place. about it rebecca <laughs> equal opportunities
2: for women right. okay
3: and it was it, back in the 1970s i think 72 it? or 73 that you know, it was passed yeah
2: and it, i know i'd have to in you know, complete honesty. I got to do a fact check. Was it 72 or 74? I can't recall. However, we know the sentiment is that this is equal opportunities for women. And when you start interpreting gender identity to be something other than sex, you're doing the exact opposite of the law. Exactly. Lot. And if you look at the consequences to it, you have males. That are allowed to dominate women's sports and even mm-hmm. receive women's scholarships, That's right. and this also puts the safety of so many women at risk. Especially if you think about developing women playing sports in high school. You know, I have children, and I do not want a 250-pound man going up against my daughter in a full-court press on a basketball court when mm-hmm. he has bigger hands, bigger body mass, yes. testosterone. That's just plain unsafe. So it's it's ridiculous. And you again, you know, what's the take-home? These gender identity policies are a drastic shift where we're no longer relying on biological reality to determine whether we're male or female. Mm -hmm. We're relying on personal perception. Yes, We're relying on what somebody thinks they are. So naturally, courts across the country, with respect to the federal level are going to be divided on this issue and quite confused when Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be. We should be looking at the explicit language of Title IX, the legislative history of Title IX, not what we'd like it to mean.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Well, that gives us a feel for where things are at the federal level. How are these laws being implicated in the education system in Minnesota? Are there specific examples that you can cite where gender-neutral policies are being implemented?
2: great question mark minnesota is a little different from federal law in minnesota we have anti-discrimination statutes and in particular we have laws under the minnesota human rights act as well as local law and case law um, as well as local ordinances and in minnesota again we go back to that local control and while we do have the minnesota human rights act sometimes in the local ordinance we have even um, we have different laws that are you know even narrower than just the Human Rights Act. But overall, we look to the Human Rights Act that's different from federal law. And in that regard... Uh, the Minnesota Human Rights Act does protect sexual orientation as a sexual orientation is protected under that law, and that does include gender identity. So what what does that mean, you know, Mm -hmm. for your listeners in plain language? Mm -hmm. That means that just like you can't discriminate on the basis of race, religion, sex, disabilities in certain contexts, and particularly the law speaks to public accommodations, you can't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity either. But- And this is the big but for the listeners out there. That same law provides express exemptions to schools and other religious organizations, which allows for specifically separate spaces based on biological sex. Now, that law says specifically with respect to the gender identity, with the sexual orientation provisions and anti-discrimination provisions, that shall not apply to such facilities as restrooms, locker rooms, Mm -hmm. and other similar places. So we have to ask ourselves, why are we forcing these policies on schools, risking students' privacy and safety, or forcing good faith people to violate their beliefs or their conscience about matters of human sexuality when the law doesn't require us to do so? There's latitude. And you know, Briefly, while we're on this topic, I can also say that the Safe and Supportive Schools Act is something else to keep your eye on. Your listeners may know that it's as the Minnesota Bullying Bill, and that's mm-hmm. also used as a basis to support some of these specific gender-neutral policies. Right, right, <clears throat> right. And and you know, when you think about that,
3: um, um, there are quite a few rights that are at stake um, when those policies are implemented. And I know we're already getting short on time. We only have 10 minutes left. So I'd like you to just talk about that. Um, Renee, can you talk to us? What, what are the rights that are at stake? When these policies are
2: enforced sure you know and it might be helpful just for some context to mention a few of the instances in minnesota that we see these rights being implicated Mm -hmm. and we see these rights being implicated through the minnesota state high school league certainly with being able to allow boys on girls sports teams and not being based on biological sex but gender identity Mm -hmm. we also see it in the in the minnesota department of education's new resource out Mm -hmm. the toolkit and we see it in one of the most aggressive higher education policies across the country at this point, or draft policies, I will say, um, by the U of M, which is going to force people to use preferred pronouns. Yes. That means uh, if you have somebody that is a singular person, but they feel that they identify with the pronoun they, then you must refer to them as they. And that's compelled speech. Mm-hmm. So that's one right that's certainly implicated. We have, we have freedom of speech. And freedom of speech isn't just the ability to say what you just to have free expression. It's also the ability not to say something. It's the government not forcing you Mm -hmm. to say something Mm -hmm. you disagree with, particularly if it violates your conscience.
3: It's that two way street again that you were talking about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. And with that last one at the U of M with the pronouns, Mm -hmm. realistically, how is anybody supposed to even know? And for some of these individuals, their gender in their, in their minds changes by the day. And so who in, who could possibly keep up with knowing which one they are that day? And so I find it just logistically um, so complicated. How could it ever even be enforced?
2: Sure. I think that's that's one of the common questions of many people is what's happening to the common use of language right here? Because we need to all be on the same page, particularly in education, when we're referring to people using pronouns. How are we supposed to know? What somebody means if we don't think that a word means the same thing. Right. So, again, that's, that's going to be a question that needs to be answered and something that's probably going to be talked about, I would assume, as that draft policy mm-hmm. moves forward. Mm-hmm. But moving back to some of the other rights, we've talked yes. a little bit about the violation of the right to privacy mm-hmm. of all students because we're considering only one viewpoint when it mm-hmm. comes to human sexuality. Parental rights are certainly implicated in these matters, but undermining parental authority. And some of these policies may even expose children to matters of sexuality that are inconsistent with their parents' teachings at home, but parents may not even know that these things are going on in the schools. Uh, we talked about discrimination against women, particularly in athletics, and the biological advantage that men have over women. That significantly may impact their positions on teams. We're seeing that there was, a, there was an instance in Pennsylvania where a male... Um, beat a female, I think and attract me and you know, that had tremendous implications for the mm-hmm, female. Mm-hmm. And also one of the biggest things we see here is freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. You know, mm-hmm. this is stripping a rights the way stripping away the rights of so many religious groups with various religious beliefs. But the other thing that people don't realize is that this is also harming people who want nothing to do with religion. And the irony right. here is that in Minnesota we have um an amazing language in our Minnesota Constitution that affords even greater protection for people of conscience than the United States Constitution itself. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, absolutely, did, did not I realize. Yes. Will you please take speak- that home? Write yeah. it down. <laughs>
3: well, and for our listeners, would you please speak more specifically on the constitutional right to privacy, mm-hmm. especially since gender-neutral activists minimize bad motives and believe that there is a lack of danger. As reasons for seeing no harm in allowing people to use the restroom of their choice, in other words, they don't see that it's going to be harmful. Just like I said earlier, in the in the district of Saint Paul or the Saint Paul School District, right. they said, "Well, we are not going to. We don't think that this is going to lead to any unsafe um, learning environment." Basically, in general, they're saying that about allowing. Um, Uh, males to enter female Mm -hmm. restrooms. They're saying there's really no danger Mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are your thoughts about that? And what would be um, specifically the constitutional right to privacy?
2: Right. Well, Rebecca, I think the way that we need to look at this is that a a person's motives aren't what we're talking about here. What we really need, because a person's motives, even their good intentions, don't invade somebody else's right to privacy. A person's right to privacy is not contingent on someone else's good intentions, and a person's right to privacy doesn't go away based on someone else's good intentions. And particularly under our current laws, a person's right to privacy is not contingent on what somebody thinks they are. We need to remember that sex and gender identity are not the same thing. Sex means something different than gender identity. Sex refers to eight different of males and females, while gender identity is currently undefined under U.S. law. So a clear definition of sex actually ensures opportunities and protection for women and girls when we're talking about privacy. And we can't feel bad talking about that because these distinctions are made all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get back to common sense. They're right. based on biological sex. Mm-hmm. And these distinctions are enforced for practical reasons. When I mean, you think about there's a host of employment um, examples that I could give where people are hiring based on sex. They want male only or female only for specific facilities. Mm -hmm. That's a biological distinction. Courts have upheld that distinction. Courts in the Eighth Circuit have upheld that distinction. It's based on X and Y chromosomes. It's not based on animus. It's not illegal. The Eighth Circuit of Minnesota is supportive of the right to privacy. I mean, we also see the right to privacy here in common law, In the state of Minnesota. And I'll give you an example where we even see it in the criminal laws as a a last part of this Mm -hmm. question. There's a case that came out in 2016 where a man was pulled over for drunk driving and he made an issue about having to urinate in front of the officers and said that that violated his right to privacy. Well, the court actually found that he did have a right to privacy in Mm -hmm. that regard. So what we need to be asking ourselves is, why are drunk drivers receiving, <laughs> you know, more deference with the right, right to privacy right. than children, than minor children yes. in schools? <laughs> Let's, Good point. Right. So,
1: you know, you mentioned earlier too, uh, Renee about the fact that parents may not be aware of what's going on in their mm-hmm. uh, child's particular school district. What can concerned parents or guardians of minor children do to find out more about their school's policies or materials used in the schools?
2: Sure. You know, first and foremost, thinking about these policies, we need to recall that a school has a duty. A school has a duty to protect the privacy, safety, and dignity of all students. And they need to take that duty seriously. And that duty needs to be used in drafting policies that accommodate all students, not just a few students. When we talk about what parents can do specifically who may not yeah. know, they can certainly talk to their teachers. You know, The teachers are going to know what's going on in the classroom. Ask them, do you have books in the classroom? Do you have books like I Am Jazz or My Princess Boy, which are books that we see here in the state of Minnesota? Mm-hmm. You can go to your administrators. You can go to your school board. Go to the school board meetings, because that's where a lot of these policies are being talked about. And don't feel embarrassed and don't feel hesitant to voice your concerns because these are just common sense issues that protect the rights, safety, and dignity of all students. Something that parents may not know is that they can actually make a legal request to the district asking specifically what is going on with respect to human sexuality, transgender policies in the school, you can even ask something as specific as, do you have I Am Jazz in the school, and will you be using it in kindergarten or first grade this right. year? Mm-hmm. One of the other things that we have in Minnesota is an opt-out law. And in Minnesota, that means that parents can remove their child from curriculum that they don't agree with, and they can do so without consequences to the parent or consequences to the student and mm-hmm. we should keep that in mind. Mm-hmm.
3: But they have to they have to ask those questions. And is there mm-hmm. any kind of a time frame with which the district has to get
2: back to them to answer those questions?
3: You know, you I would know? have
2: to, I'd have to look at the statute to okay. see if there's any sort of time frame, but really districts are reasonable in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage parents to just take the statute, talk to them about it and you know, come to a conclusion that's best for all people. Because again, mm-hmm. that goes back to what we were saying today. Tolerance is a two-way street. Fine, if you're going to teach that in the school, that at least let me to exercise my parental authority and remove my child. Because under Minnesota law, I can do that. Right.
1: Right,
3: Great points. Great points.
1: You know, we're living in the 21st century, but it's obvious we're having the same conversations that our forefathers were having prior to leaving England and throughout the establishment of the early government here in the United States. And, you know, freedom from government intrusion into personal life and conscience was critically important. It's still one of the most significant hallmarks of American government. Yet the policies now that we're speaking of today, they're truly antagonistic to the belief that we have been endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And I'll let you go ahead and finish with any closing remarks today.
2: Well, thank you, Mark. Very quickly. <laughs> great to be, yes. Great to be here today. Here's, You know the take home is that tolerance is a two-way street and we need to remember that. We need to remember that civic dialogue is certainly important. If the government can compel students to say things that violate their rights, to put them in positions that violate their right to privacy, to put parents in positions that violate their rights to parental authority, that's a problem not just for the people experiencing those violations, but for all of us. We should all be concerned. And I think parents particularly don't understand the impact that their voices can have, mm-hmm. how It is to engage in civic dialogue. So let's engage together on policies and talk about things that make a difference for not just a few students, but all students in the state of Minnesota. Minnesota can do much better in that regard.
3: Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rainy Carlson. So good to be with you. We wish you the best. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us here today on Education Nation. And you can check out our podcast at ednationmn.org, ednationmn.org. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.